in the end, at your funeral, nobody's going to say, oh, we had so much money. They don't care, right? It doesn't matter. And you can't take it with you anyway. It's the relationships and the good that you've done, the footprint. Did you leave the world better than when you found it? That's what it's about. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Basement, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today, we're joined by one of the more interesting and cool entrepreneurs I've met in my lifetime running one of the more interesting businesses. His name is Larry Janeski. He is running a $600 million a year basement business. Yes, basements. He's a contractor, a blue-collar worker, bringing in an insane amount of revenue, working with his hands, fixing people's basements. What's wild is Larry started from nothing, selling seeds door-to-door, and now leads a home improvement empire that's contractor nation, basement systems, and more. We were able to go hear Larry's story of resilience, overcoming adversity, and the unglamorous yet crucial aspects of scaling a business in a really unique way. By the way, become a part of my pre-launch team for my new book, Million Dollar Weekend. We are closing the doors to the launch team on December 31st. Email book at okdork.com if you want to join. The launch team people get to see behind the scenes of the book. They get access to meet other people. They get help on their own businesses. They get a community and other fun goodies. Send me an email, book at okdork.com to join the book launch team. In this conversation, you're going to learn three gigantic things. Number one, resilience. What does it take for Larry to want to quit? This guy went for 40 years without quitting. Really impressive and a lot of good stories in there. Number two, long-term vision. What parts of your business can be mapped out and what can't? How did Larry actually grow basements to a nine-figure revenue a year business? Three, compound gains. Long-term Larry's advice. You're going to learn that and a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. If you enjoyed this conversation and you want to explore more from a founder of a billion-dollar empire, go back to one of our more recent episodes with Michael Hudner, who owns an oil tanker shipping company. Yes, oil tankers. You can find that at episode 328 in the feed. You can also find out more about Larry at LarryJaneski.com. That's L-A-R-R-Y-J-A-N-E, L-A-R-R-Y-J-A-N-E-S-K-Y.com, at Larry Janeski on Instagram, and at ThinkDaily on Twitter. He also has a daily newsletter, which I would recommend, called ThinkDaily.com. So if you're really excited about Larry and you want to learn more about him, definitely go subscribe to his newsletter at ThinkDaily.com. Before we dive into the show, make sure you're on my email list. That's noahkagan.com. The Uber driver that we are recording this in the back of his car is like, yeah, I'm on noahkagan.com. Are you on noahkagan.com? He says he has no idea who we are, but that's okay. One day he will, and I'll join noahkagan.com and get fun three business tips each and every week so that he can own Uber one day, right? Yeah, maybe. Why not? Uber driver, do you have any, what do you think of the Noah Kagan podcast? He has no idea, but being one woman I does... Uh, Noah really does a great job on this podcast. It's very insightful and contains lots of helpful and cool tips. This is a must listen and a top of my podcast list. Thank you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, workers of the world. If you want to shout in a future episode, you know what to do. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show. How would you describe what it is that you do? So what we do is we are a contractor that fixes houses and we train other contractors all across America to do it also. They come in with their other people. We have a big event every year, CN Live. To scale, you have to engage other people to want to work here and stay and give their best. And you've got to uh, be great at training. Video is a big part of it. I don't scale. As a leader, I don't scale. If I'm doing something that I did yesterday, I'm just repeating day after day. And I can only do so much. There's only so many hours in a day. But through video, and I can be seen by 
unlimited numbers of people for unlimited numbers of years. And I want them to see me one day and say, look so old. So maybe let's start at the basement. What is a basement? I grew up in California. We don't have basements. I never had a basement. What is a basement? It's a level below ground. That's your foundation of your house. You have slab on grades. We have basements. And then there's about 28 million crawl spaces in the United States. I don't know how many basements there are, but then, so there's slabs, crawl spaces, and basements. So we fix mostly basements and crawl spaces. When they get wet underneath, when they're leaking, when they have structural problems, they're sinking, the walls are cracking and falling in, and crawl spaces are dirt, and they let moisture in. And then the building code said, well, you got to put vents in. The vents only make the problem worse. They let more moisture in and when it's hot out, and they cause a big energy penalty. And there's tens of millions of houses that have problems built in that were accepted as this is how we do things that we fix for people. So all this is uh, displays of different products that we either manufacture or distribute to our dealers. I invented most of our key products for basement waterproofing and crawl spaces. I have 32 patents. So this is a clean space. This is a crawl space encapsulation system. This is showing different layers here, but uh, this white liner inside the crawl space, it uncouples the earth from the house. And uh, it's basically like installing a pool liner inside of the crawl space, but we're trying to keep moisture out. We also have sump pump systems. This is a sump pump system specifically for crawl spaces that I designed. This is a dehumidifier that my son designed. This is the most efficient, high-performance steam and fire in the world. We have about 450 employees in Connecticut. And um, of the companies that we own or partner in, including Connecticut, we have about 2,000. And of all of our dealers, there must be 8,000, I think. Also, I love how deep you've gone. Like you took some common problems with basements, innovative solutions, everything around these basements, got yourself patents and products, and then provided the training to every dealer across the country, all just for basements. A lot of people don't think big enough, yet you do all of it within this category. You have to really master, you know, what you're doing. Like, why go on to something else if you haven't mastered what you're doing? And really dig in. For us, it was like the science of it. Like, what are the physics behind this problem? And what is the proper science and physics behind how we're fixing it? We have a saying, our products aren't the best because they're ours. They're ours because they're the best. We didn't come to this with any predisposed notion of we manufacture this. What use can we find for this? And we're stretching it. We say, all right, here's our problem. What is the best way to fix it? And then make that ours. I think it's just having confidence in yourself and um, tackling one thing at a time and not being satisfied with where you are and saying, all right, where can I add value next? And eventually, after so many years, if you don't jump courses, right? I spent five years in this, and then I did three years in that, and I did seven years in that. Well, you never get really, really good at one thing. You don't achieve compound interest in any one business. Every time you change a business or, you know, an industry, a field, a career, you have to start out with new relationships, new knowledge, new education, new experience, new everything. And I've been really doing building on the same thing since I was 17 years old. These are sump pump systems. We have the best sump pump systems in the world. I probably was in business for 
14 years before I came up with that, this iterative process and invented that feature and then I invented that feature and you put them all together. So you're not only making money on the product, but also on the training and installation as well? So we sell the products to our dealers and they install them. We got to teach them how to do that because as a contractor, you could have a markup, but then waste all your money in operations, right? So we teach them accounting and gross margin, net margin, and how to carve the diamond out of that, right? Let's say you want to make a 10% profit margin, if that's your number. You have to mix labor, materials, and outside services and charge the customer accordingly and pay for all the labor, material, and outside services and wind up with a 10% profit. So basically, to make a 10% profit, you can only spend 90% of your revenue. It sounds so simple. Sometimes it is. This is like home improvement. You're sending guys out in a truck with heavy tools and equipment to work in somebody's house that they live in. Hey, what can go wrong? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) And that's the challenge, right? That was the opportunity in, in my business is that it's not easy. How do I provide what the contractor needs to help them be successful or even more successful than they were before they met me? How much of your revenue is from the services you provide versus teaching, coaching, products, and the things that you have others provide? We now own or partner with 36 of our own dealers, our own customers. So it's more on the installation side. If you add all that up, we have companies in 34 states. If you add all that up, it's more than the materials part. We're continuing to grow. So what would you say is a percentage? Because I think it is really fascinating what you did and can be relevant for so many different categories of business that you significantly grew your business by teaching others how you're doing your business. And it seems like potentially a huge part of what you do now. Our business has changed. We didn't own any of our other dealers except our own here in Connecticut until three or four years ago. But it's still, we're doing the same thing. It's just that we have more of influence on local contractors' business in 36 states than we ever had. I think the model that you've created is amazing. You've really expanded. It's like, hey, you've got a restaurant, cool. Could you also teach other people how to open their own restaurants and how to run their restaurant? Then provide them with things that they'll need in their restaurants. That it's possible to do the same in all blue-collar businesses. You can do it across the board, and that's really interesting. There's a lot of ways to do that. Like I have a school of entrepreneurship and this is the keys to the kingdom. The revenue on that is very little. So contractors are less willing to pay for a university level education and how to be a leader in a home service, home repair, home improvement company. But that's the juice. So you've got to come up with the right alchemy of support, whether it's combination of consumables, personalized training, online video training, events, all kinds of help that you can give them that they value and they say, I can't get this anywhere else, I gotta stay. Because if one of our customers leaves us, we're gonna put somebody else in his area that he's gonna have to deal with and he knows the kind of support that they're gonna have. So either they're gonna sell out or quit, but they would never voluntarily leave us and choose to compete against their replacement. We're that good. That's not a threat. They don't think of uh, us as an adversary at all. They think of us as we're here to help. We're True Blue really trying to help them. And the only way we win is if they win. If they sell more and they're more successful, they need more products. And that's how we make money is products. But the only way we can get them to buy more is to 
help their salespeople, their marketers, their installers, their production and service people, their appointment center, their accountants, their recruiters, their leaders, how to be great at their jobs. To give you an example, before we started, a big basement waterproofing company, like a really big one, would be $5 million. That's like one of the biggest in the entire country. Today, we're 50 million and more. So that's the difference we made in the industry. And we've completely changed the industry. The industry used to be hole in the ground with a pump in it and rudimentary drainage system. Now people are actually fixing problems where people have reliably dry, usable space. And that's what we do. We're happy about that. Let's go around this way. So this is uh, our Dr. Energy Saver Technical Training Center. So Dr. Energy Saver, what we do is we make homes more comfortable and energy efficient. So if I heat air, I burn fossil fuels to heat air so I can be comfortable but that warm air leaks out. New cold air has to come in to replace it. Now I gotta heat that air. And then that leaks out and new cold air comes in, right? So we do air sealing and then we do insulation. Obviously everybody understands insulation. So we're the only company that has made it in this industry. The only one, they've all failed. In large measure, we're competing against government programs, which are completely, in my opinion, with the exception of New York State, are completely bogus and they had a negative effect on the industry and on homeowners than they were intended. We don't deal with the government for the most part. We're just independent and we're competing against them. What it seems like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are trying to solve a lot of problems in the home. What do you guys not do? Sounds like you guys do everything in the house. We don't do electrical. We don't provide plumbing services. We don't do restoration or carpet cleaning or duct cleaning. There's lots of things we don't do. How do you decide which services are important for you to provide? I think a lot of people starting a business or running a business find it hard to prioritize what's important. How do you clarify this? That's a problem. In our School of Entrepreneurship, we have an exercise called diversification or diversion. I created a scale, a 10-point scale to say, is this new thing I'm thinking of doing more like what I'm already doing or less like what I'm already doing? Does it have the same customers? Does it have the same marketing? The same salespeople can sell it. Can the same production people install it? Is it different equipment and so forth? And so it's always better to add something to your business that's more like what you're already doing. Otherwise, you're owning two different businesses. And if you own two different businesses and you're not good at the first one, you're going to be really bad at both. And you're not going to make any money. You're going to have more top-line gross sales probably, but less profit and more aggravation, more problems. Basements and crawl spaces are like peanut butter and jelly to me, but basements and roofing are obviously completely different. And we do roofing too, but we run it as a separate thing. We have a whole completely separate training center. An hour and 20 minutes from here happens to be, but it's 57,000 square feet where we have houses built inside the building and we can roof a house and we can put gutters on and take them off and whole training center. How does it feel when I say the phrase blue-collar billionaire? I don't know about billionaire, but tech isn't the only way to make money, okay? The cool thing is about working with your hands is that you can never be replaced by AI. Amazon's not going to take over. Your job is not going to be offshored to India or anywhere else. Nobody can go in to a, a homeowner and fix their basement from Amazon or from India. No robot is ever going to fix a crawl space. We need guys who are hardworking guys that are willing to get dirty 
They know how to do, what to do, and why they're there. And that's what we do. What do you think all businesses can be learning from how you do your training? Because there's been basement companies before. There's been a lot of blue-collar types of businesses. But the level of professionalism and training where you've built entire houses inside warehouses to do walkthrough training versus theoretical training. This is not some minimal level requirement. And then go do the job in someone's house. There is some real thought behind how you're training your dealers and contractors. We used to go to houses to train, and we still do. But when you tell Mrs. Jones we're going to have 35 people in her house, (laughs) sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. And it saves travel time to and from. These guys travel from all over North America to get here. We don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, driving out an hour and an hour back and stuff. So my son also developed the world's best air purifier. And he built this room that we would fill with smoke and watch it clear the air. We have videos on it to prove that this is the world's best air purifier. We set up lasers in here so you could see the smoke. We put every competitive air purifier in here and did the same test, and you could see the smoke go right through it because we lit it up with lasers. This, nothing goes through it. I am so inspired to go do something like this in my own company. And I think a lot of people can also go do this whatever type of business they do. Like, how do you improve your training? How do you make your customers more successful? How do you turn more people into potential partners? There's a lot of different facets going on. And also, the thing I don't understand, Larry, how are you so calm? I've never met anyone who's running such a large company with so much complexities and be so calm. You are so relaxed. Yeah, I have people, right? I have good people that are taking care of things and I know them, I can trust them. They've been here for a long time. And that's one of the key lessons is that you need to be a person that other people want to work for. They're always watching you. They watch what you do. They know what you do on the weekends. They know your nasty little habits. They know how you act when you are under pressure, right? Do you yell and swear once in a while? Are you unpredictable? They're kind of like, I want to tell you this, I don't know how you're going to behave. Or are you a, a fair, cool, understanding human being who makes the right calls and is looking out for the future for them, right? And if they can trust you, they stay. And if they stay, they get better and better at their jobs. And then it makes management and leadership's job easier. Because there's a saying, shit flows uphill. All the problems that no one else could solve, the unsolvable, big, nasty problems go up to the leader. I don't get this problem. My phone doesn't ring. My phone doesn't ring. It rang once today because we're building a building and the builder wanted to check in with me. But my phone won't ring today. And it's on right now. I didn't turn it off because I have good people. So you need to create a team of people who stay. If you have continual turnover, Nobody gets good at what they're doing. And then you're constantly rebuilding your company. If you turn everybody over every 24 months, you have a brand new company every 24 months. You can never get traction. I have a saying, if it's frustrating, you're doing it wrong. So you got to check out who am I being? How am I showing up? What did I do? What decisions did I make or not make? And take responsibility for all of that and say, I got to change so that I can have the company that I want to have. So one of the days during our convention, we're going to have everybody come from Hartford down here and we split up amongst all our different buildings and we'll have 15 different classes, 45 minute classes in six different time slots. So if I'm a marketer for a roofing company, I go to marketing classes and roofing classes. If I'm a service guy for 
basement waterproofing, then I go to service and basement waterproofing classes, right? So there's something for everyone all the time. And we have food trucks all over the campus, and little shuttle buses in between the buildings and everything. What's the range of revenue over everything, all the companies combined? Over 600 million. For basements? Yeah. That revenue number is insane. Yeah, well, it's getting bigger. So this is Contractor Nation. So we got a division, basement systems, is basement waterproofing. We have dealers all over the country that use our products to fix wet basements. This is a network of crawl space repair companies, clean space. This is a network of basement finishing contractors. They just finished basements. They use our product for that. This is a network of home insulation and air sealing companies. They fix a lot of problems with uh, homes to make them more energy efficient, more comfortable. Gutter shutter is a gutter system that never needs to be cleaned, and it's the strongest, best gutter system. We have a network of dealers for that. Klaus roofing systems, obviously, our network of roofing contractors. National Radon Defense is a, they do radon mitigation, and we partner with them to provide them some valuable services that their dealers need. Morehouse Finance is a finance company that we started and now a partner with a bigger bank. So it's our finance company where we can offer financing to homeowners that all of these guys are selling to homeowners. They can provide financing. And Treehouse Marketing is our marketing group. We have 120 people that work in there and we generate 700,000 leads a year for our dealers. And the School of Entrepreneurship is a three and a half year course that I wrote and taught and we have all on video and we teach everything from leadership, recruiting, accounting, appointment center, marketing, sales, production, service, everything in the School of Entrepreneurship for home improvement, home service, home repair contractors, but really any company could benefit from using this. And that's online now. It was live, now it's online. This is our very first company that we built all of this off of. We were in business for three years before we started getting dealers. And we're now almost $50 million a year home service company. And we're actually doing the work, okay? So we're not theorists, we're not scholars, we're not manufacturers, we're doing shit, okay? Fixing real problems every day. And that's how we don't say too many stupid things to other contractors. Tell me a little about your relationship with money growing up and what led you to become a contractor in the first place and what started your entrepreneurial journey. When I grew up, we didn't have any money and my parents got divorced. I was in like second grade. I figured out that if I wanted something, I was going to have to get it myself. Even my first bicycle, no money for a bicycle. There was a, an ad in a comic book for burpee seeds. So I sent away to Minneapolis to get some burpee seeds and I got a box I went door to door and I rang the doorbell. I'm eight years old. And I said, would you like to buy some seats? And I got around the block and I sent away for more. And I realized that I could make my own money. And I had a paper route and bought the kid next door his paper route. And I bought another paper route. And I had 140 papers I was delivering every day, seven days a week. And this is Connecticut. I remember pushing one shopping cart and pulling another shopping cart full of papers in a foot of snow. But I was making $80 a week, and this was 1978, and I was like the richest kid in the neighborhood, living on the second floor of a three-family house. I think sometimes people imagine how their business will be, and then it's, how's the actual dish taste? The end result is vastly different to the actual end customer. It's cool to see some of these reviews of your company, and I'm wondering if you ever imagined this. 
keep in mind that for a contractor, it's more difficult than other businesses. If you're in manufacturing or retail or restaurant, you're in a controlled environment. Everything goes on inside your walls. I could walk over to Noah and see how he's doing and coach him on the spot. I could walk over here. I could see what's going on, right? I send guys out an hour and a half away with equipment to work in a house with all their stuff and they live there, right? And it's outside of here. If you hire the wrong people or you don't train them or they have bad intentions, bad motivations, or they're sitting on a bucket smoking cigarettes in their driveway, listening to music on their break, this is an uncontrolled environment. So it's far more difficult in our industry, I think, than a lot because of that. The work is not done here. Like with employees, we've been through a lot. You know, you watch each other, you grow older together, right? This person had kids, person got married, person got divorced, I got divorced, I got remarried. And we've all experienced this, right? And it feels like there's such a level of trust. I don't have to come around the corner and wonder, who is this person? Can I trust them? What are their skills? Are they going to perform? You know what I mean? All of that other stuff is gone. If you're an a-hole, you can get successful and you flaunt it. Be nice. I'm friends with everybody. I think you also have an advantage. I work in tech and I see with content creation also, there's so many people that are competing for the same customers, but it seems like you are dominating your business category because the competition was so weak in leadership qualities. I'm wondering for other blue collar types of businesses, what other contractors in other unloved sectors might look for in terms of advantages and competitive edge? If you bring some real leadership ability to a unloved business, you can do great things. Some businesses are they're sexy and they're full of smart competitors, right? So if you get into something like lawn care, any business where you're just going to apply good leadership skills that's uh, under the radar, I think it is an advantage, provided the market's big enough. But you never know how big it can be. When we started, the market was small. We've expanded the pond. So we're going to be a big fish in an even bigger pond because our average sale used to be, you know, $3,500. Now it's 10,000 because we've redefined what we do for people based on what they want and no one else was providing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what you can do. What would be an industry that you guys aren't doing that you approach in the same way? So say for lawn care, what's the Larry Janeski approach to getting your first lawn care customer? Right now, we're starting a franchise in uh, soft washing, basically think pressure washing. And then in winter, we're going to do Christmas lights. So it's called Bright Brothers. And what's our recipe? Good marketing. Answer the damn phone. Book appointments immediately. Show up when you say you're going to show up. Have well-trained people who are polite and are there for the right reasons. Do a great job. Be consistent. Give them everything that they need to succeed. It's not that complicated. You don't have to have a breakthrough in a product innovation. You could just execute better on the basics. The Vince Lombardi method. Passing, running, just do it really well. I could have another company start out in my business that markets really well, but if they can't follow through, they're done. I got the team and that takes leadership. What are some other industries that you think are appealing? It's unlimited. Not every business has to scale. You have to decide what you want to be when you grow up. If you're okay having a three-person operation and you want to make under $200,000 a year, whatever, and that's what's good for your lifestyle and your self-concept and stuff. Okay. So you can pick a real niche in a small area and go for it and just be really excellent at that. You don't have to build the next Amazon 
or the next contractor nation, right? But the same rules run through the whole thing. Be a good human being, be excellent at what you do, teach other people how to be excellent and be the kind of leader that other people want to work for and want to stay with. Be fair. When the shit hits the fan, do the right thing, even if it costs you money. You see so many companies running to their lawyer to get me out of this. You're responsible. So I think there's a big bank in the sky where you make deposits or withdrawals. And the more deposits you make, the angels are going to come down upon you when you need it. If you're good to people, talk, right? And if you were treated somebody unfairly, it's going to get around. And when the chips are down and you're at risk, where'd everybody go? If I'm at risk, I've got hundreds of people saying, how can I help? What can I do? They got my back because I got their back. If I wanted to do this business, let's say I'm in Ohio and I hear the video and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, Christmas lights, that's a cool business. How would you get your first customer? Probably internet marketing. There's direct mail, there's TV, guerrilla marketing, networking, and yard signs. But there's so much you can do on the internet. And we do all that for our customers, right? There's building a website that converts. You're showing them what they're looking for, where they're looking for, at the time they're looking for it, so that it converts. Because there's PPC, but PPC gets you traffic. But if they feel like they landed at the wrong place, they're clicking off. So you got to show them they landed at the right place so they don't click off. And then there's online advertising. It's not a magic bullet. If you're asking me and you're looking for the magic bullet, it's not there. Execution on good leadership and there's nothing that's been a secret, okay? Good management and good marketing, good salesmanship, right? And being a good person, having those values run through the whole thing. Good character. I don't think they teach character enough in this world, right? There's so many contradictions. They hear one message over here, be kind, be good, and so forth. And then they're hearing another message over here. Or they're seeing people do bad things. What side are they, the kids going to fall on? When you have a company, you have the opportunity to say, this is okay, this is not okay. Where's that line going to be? And the leader has to draw that line or walk it. That makes a big difference. So what was your vision when you started contracting at homes and working on basements? Was it where we are today? Was it beyond? How has that vision evolved over the years? And what will it look like in 10 to 20 years in the future? You can't see that far. And anybody that makes a five-year plan and they have all these Excel spreadsheets, right, with all the numbers, they're kidding themselves, okay? Because they're making assumptions that will prove incorrect, probably a lot of them, and it doesn't go the way you think. So the way I view it is like driving at night. Okay, I want to drive from here to Columbus, Ohio at night. I can't see to Columbus, Ohio, but I can see as far as my headlights. So I drive that far. Now I can see farther as far as my headlights. I drive that far. I can see farther. I see farther, right? And if you say, what is my biggest problem today? Would it be amazing if I solved this problem for good, not temporarily? I really solved it. I really created something that you could have other people execute on. And I work on that. And it's probably going to take a lot longer to fix that than you think. Everything takes way longer than you think. But once I fix it, it's done. And now I turn it over to other people and it's working, right? Now I can work on something else. I work on something else and it fails. Okay. Let me adjust. Let me fix it. Let me try it a different way. Let me abandon it. And it's like that. And it's been that for 40 years. And this is what you get. How old were you when you started the company? I started when I was 17. And how much did you make your first year? I was by myself. I made 
$18,000 maybe. I don't know. I was driving a $600 pickup truck and doing jobs for $60. A picture porch railing. And they're asking me to do bigger and bigger things that I never did before. Hey, can you put an addition on? I got a call when I was 18 years old. Can you build a house for me? Yeah, I can build a house for you. But I'm 18 years old. So if that's a problem, let me know. There's a long silence on the phone as the guy's weighing his options. And it was the building boom, 1983. I'm 18 years old. And it's kind of like the story of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, where their skill was sorely needed by the world at that moment. And here I was, a carpenter that never built a house before, but all the other guys were busy. So I got my shot. And I built a house, framed roofs, sided, built the decks. In six weeks, me, my friend who was 17 years old, and my younger brother who was 14 years old on summer vacation. The three of us. You can't make this up. And we built the house. And then when we were done, because we showed up every day, unlike the other carpenters who were trying to manage too many jobs, they show up two days over here, one day over here, two days. You know. And then the guy next door comes over and says, can you build mine? And then we built his and the guy on the other side comes over, can you build mine? And that's it. I was off to the races and I built houses. And then I realized I wasn't making any money. So I started buying lots and going to the bank and get builder's mortgage and spec building my own houses when I was 21. And then I had some disasters, right? I wasn't pricing them right. I was paying the subs too much. I was, didn't know what I was doing, but I learned a lot. And over five years, I built 23 houses and did many other remodeling projects and stuff. And I levered what I learned from all of that into all the other things that we do today. And how much were you making on these house projects? Anywhere from minus 150000 to plus 80000 I lost 120000 on one house. And I worked for a year and a half. And every dollar I made, I paid every one of those subs subcontractors that I owed. I didn't declare bankruptcy. I didn't run away from it. I was sorry that it took so long to pay them, but I paid them. So you take those lessons and apply them here. So that makes me very fiscally responsible, more cautious, right? Because you know what could happen. As a contractor, you could have no work tomorrow. So that's why we have no debt, zero debt, no mortgage debt, all these buildings, no debt, none, not one dollar because I'm not putting all my employees at risk by levering this thing. So tomorrow, if we slow down, COVID, nobody wanted us in their house for two months. What did I do with all these people? We made it. Recessions, wars, I've seen it all. And kids these days, they grow up, they think, you know, they don't know what adversity is. I've never been through things like World War II and World War I. That's like some serious stuff, right? I think there's some wisdom to studying history and, and living through history. Old guys know stuff. At the same time, I got a lot of tech people who know way more. They're way smarter than me. So that's great. You need people that are smarter than you. You can't pretend you know everything. You know, there's basic principles that, that you need to abide by. Otherwise, you're, you're done. One day, you're done. You know, how do you go out of business? Two ways. Slowly, then very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> when did it transition from like, hey, I'm making houses, I'm not making a ton of money into, hey, there's something with this basement opportunity. I mean, I didn't know there was money in it. I, I had to find something else to do because the building bubble collapsed. I, the last house I built, I sold it. They didn't get financing. I sold it again. They didn't get financing. I sold it the third time. 
they got the financing, then they wanted to get out of it because they had a wall crack in the foundation that was leaking. So like, well, the contract says if there's a problem with the house and I can fix it, then you got to buy the house. So I figured out how to fix the wall crack. I couldn't build another house. It wouldn't sell. All the builders are going to be stuck with houses everywhere. I couldn't even afford this mortgage payment, this builder's mortgage that I had to pay the bank, $2,100 a month. I had to sell this house. So I had to figure out how to fix the foundation. And that's how I got into this one. I said, well, I can't build houses anymore. Let me look at this. It wasn't a by design, by plan. It's like, where are you? Look around and let's make something out of this. You don't know what the future is going to be. You have to create it. You can't say, I'm going to get in some, there's money in this. You got to make it. I definitely think a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, they have the money now and they have all these things, but I think they're missing out that you are in the arena. You're doing something. You're not sitting at home talking about it. You are doing it. And that limitation of, hey, I can sell houses. Let me figure out something else I can do. And that limitation of not having money, not having a lot of time, not having as much resources actually was an advantage. I've been the underdog my whole life. All the other kids in school were this tall and I was this tall. The scrawny little kid who got picked last. And I've been underestimated and been the underdog. And now I love that. Underestimate me. I will come back over again. And to my competition, I say, not because they're bad people, not because I want to hurt them, but because I want to be better for the customer. I want the customer to pick me. Because sales is a popularity contest. People do things for their own reasons. And I want them to pick me, not you. When did you make your first million? How did that feel? What was that like? I don't remember what year it was, but I don't even like to talk about it, honestly, because I think that it's not about that. That's an effect of the cause, right? In the beginning, you think it's about making money. You think it's about making a lot of money, right? And when you're destitute, you know, making $100,000 a year makes a huge difference in your life, right? And then the next 100000 that's great. And the next 100000 and you could buy a house and a couple cars and but I think that a lot of business owners don't stick with it long enough to realize what it's really about. And it's not about the money. For me, it's about using the talents that God gave me to be the best person that I can be in service to other people, all right? My talent is leadership. I wasn't born with it. I was born with the capacity for it, but I learned it along the way. And now I have to exercise my talent to serve others. And who do I serve? I serve my team by giving them the resources and the, you know, setting them up for success and uh, providing a place that, you know, is a good place to work. And then they serve the customers, right? Yeah, money's a scorecard. Uh, believe me, I look at 45 P&Ls every month, okay? We want to make money. There's no question. If you don't make money, you're toast. So it's a requirement, right, to sustain business a long time. And yes, do you want to make more money than the year before? Yes, of course. But that being said, it's not about the money. Being in business is a great privilege and to serve the community. And I don't mean an altruistic way. I'm, I'm not talking about altruism here. I'm talking about free market economics, right? And in order for people to have a high standard of living, there needs to be products and services available to them that are reliable, they need to be able to call somebody to fix their basement or their roof or, you know, their gutters or whatever it is that the guy's going to show up when he says he's going to show up and he's not going to rip me off and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. If I need a new roof, that makes my life better, right? That I have somebody like that to call. 
And that's my place. I, my place is to, you know, I'm like the aircraft carrier that launches the jets, right? The jets are the salespeople that are show up when they're supposed to show up. They have the right stuff. You know, they provide the right service at the right price. We get chosen. And then I launch another jet off the aircraft carrier. This is the aircraft carrier, okay? Which is the production crew to do the work. So I'm the guy in the control tower watching what's going on and saying, we need to fix this, do this, provide that, supply chain this, right? So that I can launch the jets, all right? So that's what I do and what we do. And we need to try to make money at it. And maybe a lot of people won't agree with me. Maybe a lot of people say, no, it's about the money. But to me, that's a level of immaturity. I wouldn't have given you this rap 15 years ago, right? But I've come to understand why I'm here because I could have retired a long time ago. That's what a lot of guys do. They say, as soon as I can sell my company for enough millions that I can calculate and take me to retirement, or I don't have to worry for 10 years and I can go sit on a beach or play golf, they'll do it. And then they're bored stiff. But I have plenty of fun, believe me. But I'm here to do a job. And it's not about, I don't get my self-esteem from how much money I make. I get it from those people, from them looking at me and saying, I trust you. You're going to provide for tomorrow. You're going to take care of us. You're going to make sure nothing bad happens to us and that we continue to do well. And you're going to give me everything I need to succeed and look out for me and have my back. That's why I do it. That's the real payoff. Because you know what? In the end, at your funeral, nobody's going to say, oh, we had so much money. They don't care, right? It doesn't matter. And you can't take it with you anyway. It's the relationships and the good that you've done, the footprint. Did you leave the world better than when you found it? That's what it's about. How did it feel when you finally started making money with the basements? Well, obviously, it's good, you know, um, to make money and to make a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But then making money gives you confidence to take the next step, right? If you don't make money, then you have no money to deploy, to build a new building, to buy some new trucks, to give people raises, to hire more people, to do more marketing, right? To grow, right? You got to make money to grow. You make money and you invest it, right? It gives you confidence that, yeah, if I do this, I'll make even more money, but I can, you know, like I have the ability to do so because I have made money. You know, if you don't make money, you got no options. Money gives you options. One of the things I value most is personal freedom. I have personal freedom because I'm disciplined. It's kind of a paradox, right? I'm very disciplined every single day when nobody's watching. I'm working on important problems or important initiatives and move things forward. And now nobody has to discipline me because I'm disciplined. I'm harder on myself than anybody else would be. And that gives me freedom. Freedom to loaf around? Yeah, I could. But if I loaf around, I start losing my freedom. So you started doing basements at work. That's a big jump from here to $600 million a year. It's been 40 years, okay? <laughs> Come on. Hey, we didn't make a big jump. We made a lot of little ones. I think that's the message I want to encourage people to recognize too. I think that's really powerful to think about the small chunking your way to success. It's not that you had 11 buildings overnight. And it wasn't that you had an entrepreneurship school and a finance program overnight. There's a lot of business people are looking for a quick hit. I'm going to start this business. I'm going to sell it in three years. You're going in it with the wrong mindset to begin with. You are thinking about the money and not thinking about building an enduring business, something great. 
you can't buy greatness. Greatness comes from doing the right thing and executing on the basics and building relationships with all your people over long periods of time and getting better and better and saying, what problem did we have today? How do we prevent that in the future? And keep doing that until it's really something. And it takes a long time. But look, you're going to live a long time anyway. Do you want to keep flitting about from this, chasing the, the next shiny object? Or are you going to buckle down and build something great? You know, if you're 25 years old, you're going to be 65 in 40 years, and it's going to happen in a blink of an eye. So the question is, how's it going to be for you? And that's up to you. You make a choice. If you sell out, you give up, you quit, you decide something else might be better after four years and you go try to chase something else, you're starting over. And you're not going to get as far because I've been running that distance in that time and I'm ahead of you and I'm going to keep going you know, in a different industry, whatever. But that's how I got here. Like, don't quit. Figure it out. My Dr. Energy Saver business, I went five and a half million dollars in the hole with no end to the losses in sight over four years, five years. And then my partner quit and sued me. So what do I do? Do I quit? No, I kept going. 11 years later, I made $1, my first dollar. But today, it's an awesome business. No one had ever figured it out before in this industry. We stuck with it and figured it out. And today, it's very profitable. And we're doing something great for the environment and society. We're making houses more comfortable, more energy efficient. They burn less fossil fuels and electricity, and they're less expensive to own. And so I've had a great positive environmental impact on the world because I didn't quit. I mean, I'm certainly glad that wasn't my only business. I'm not going to say that I'm happy that it took 11 years to make a dollar, okay? Would, would, I, would I rather be different? Of course. But it wasn't working, but I kept at it. What did you tell yourself during that period? What kept you going and why didn't you quit? I struggled to reinvent the model and it went from energy auditing. I was like, who wants to be audited? What they want is a free estimate. That's what contractors do, don't they? My second floor is drafty. Can I get a free estimate? That's what they want. So we converted the whole model as completely changed to how we were doing it. And then I had to, I had to productize things that were not products, like processes, services, like I'm going to seal that. I made a product out of sealing that. And then we got to seal that. This is how we do it. I made a product out of sealing that. I made 120 products in home energy conservation and made it then easy to explain, easy to measure, easy to price, and easy to sell. What were you telling yourself? Like, what gave you clarity that you shouldn't? Every house is screwed up from an energy perspective. Every house wastes way more energy than it should. And the HVAC contractors weren't dealing with it. The new home builders weren't dealing with it. Remodelers weren't dealing with it. Electricians and plumbers or nobody was dealing. Even insulation contractors were committing malpractice. And so I knew there was a huge need. So I had to figure out how to fill it. But why did it have to be you solving these problems? I didn't want to be defeated. I didn't want to say, well, we lost five and a half million dollars there. I quit. I couldn't do it. I'm not worthy. I wasn't good enough to figure it out. There's a big need out there. 
and I tried to fill it and I lost money and I couldn't figure it out. I'm a loser. That's not me. I don't quit. You mentioned earlier that you're divorced, remarried. Do you have regrets about working too much? Was all this worth it? I'm glad you asked because I don't want people to think that I was the classic story of the busy business guy who was married to his business and worked so much and, and ignored his family. That is not the issue, not what happened. I didn't work a weekend. I haven't worked a weekend in 30 years. My feet have not been in any one of my buildings on a Saturday or a Sunday in 30 years. That's what I'm telling you, okay? I'm home by six o'clock. And the reason I say that is I want people to know that if you have to work 70 hours a week, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's a sign that you're doing it wrong. You cannot ignore your family. You cannot ignore, you know, having some fun. And you have to restore yourself with enough sleep and recreation and time off. You have to be a three-dimensional human being. Despite all these stories of people in Silicon Valley sleeping in their offices and stuff. No, that, that's stupid. That's wrong. Especially if you have kids. You have a duty as a husband and father to be there. And you need to live up to that. You took a, oh, you made a promise at that altar and you got to take care of your family. So that's not what I did. And I don't want anybody to think that. One thing I know though, is that if you have disasters in your life, if you don't quit, you can make a great thing out of that. We all live full lives. We all have, you know, every hour in the day is full with something. And sometimes in order to have a breakthrough, something's got to break and you got to make an opening right for something better. You know, God works in mysterious ways. Three major catastrophes I've had in my life, all within a four or five year period was my house burned down to the ground. A year before that, my barn burned down. And then I started being attacked by a private equity firm who was buying all my customers because I wasn't for sale. So they thought they would buy my customers. And each time they bought a customer and they bought a piece of my business because they became their new supplier. And my wife filed for divorce, all in the same stretch. And all three of them, they felt absolutely horrible. Like, you know, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. Your marriage, your home, and your life's work. And all three of them turned out to be amazing blessings in my life because I didn't quit. So now I feel like I'm bulletproof. You can't hurt me. You know, it makes you tougher. And that's what I say. Like people these days that haven't had any adversity, I, I've had adversity. I don't claim to be the only one. Tons of people have had adversity and many people had it way, way worse than me. But adversity really does make you stronger. And you can go in as a leader, you can be empathetic, right, with people. And it makes you tougher. You don't get rattled like you used to. I like what you're saying about how you're looking at adversity. People are going to get adversity no matter what. That's a guarantee. Like there's going to be some adversity to everyone's life. I like your message about, it's like, how do you want to show up during adversity? That's where you become stronger and confident in yourself as well. You got to develop that mental toughness and it can only come through adversity. And mental toughness is a quality, it's almost a talent that requires to, to do really well. You have a lot of nuggets for how I want to show up in my own life. Like, how do I show up in my own company? You know, when I'm working remotely with my girlfriend, I come home at nine or 10, she lives in Spain. And if I'm not a good partner to her, that's under my control. I can actually be a better partner and I can figure out how to run the company more effectively. You have to be able to do it in like 50 hours a week. If you can't do it in 50 hours a week, you haven't defined your job as the leader correctly. As your business grows, your job has to get smaller because that piece is bigger of a bigger company, right? So you have to have 
chunk off pieces of your job to competent people, right? So your job gets smaller and smaller. And don't worry, you'll never work yourself out of a job because <laughs> you'll make new things to do. That's what I did, right? I got rid of my old job so I can do something new. The trap of being an entrepreneur is as your business grows, you don't delegate or empower other people with things that you used to do. Your job gets so big, you can't even do it in 70 hours a week and you're working all kinds of crazy hours. Your relationships are suffering, your health is suffering, and you're still frazzled that there's things that you can't get done. You're doing it wrong. You're not being a proper leader. You have to define what is my job? What can only I do? And actually, that's a dangerous question because a lot of times we think only I can do this. That's BS. You know, there's other people that can do that. And maybe you can do it a little bit better than someone else, but you don't because you're trying to do too many things. But where do I add the highest value? So in my business right now, it's capital allocation. No one else can do that. And I can decide what resources do we need as far as buildings, companies, trucks, you know, so forth. You know, we have zero debt. I told you that, you know, how are we going to invest for the future that would unlock the most value tomorrow? How did you decide to put your face in everything and your name on things? Uh, I think homeowners know about home improvement contractors, right? We don't show up. We don't do what we say we're going to do. We, we do a crap job. We don't service it. We take their money. We run, you know, all these things that everyone has had these uh, experiences. So I figure if they see my signature, not just my name, but my signature and my face, they know who to come after if we screw them. And so it adds a lot of credibility. Someone's proud of this company. Someone's in charge, right? They know who to get their lawyer on or who to come punch in the face if they need to. No, I'm serious. That's a negative. You made it a positive. Yeah. You know, you got lots of other companies that it's just like Omni, you know, services, you know, like, the hell's that? But here, do you want to do business with Omni services or Larry Janeski? It's worked really well for many, many years. If they let the customer down, they're letting me down. I don't let them down. They don't want to let me down. With the money you've made for yourself, how do you like to enjoy your money? I have a beautiful home. I have place, uh, sort of a weekend place a half an hour away that's really a professional motocross track. That's, you know, what I love to do. And I do long distance racing in the desert in Mexico. I have actually the oldest finisher of the Baja 1000. It's the longest off-road race in the world. And I did it solo. And I'm the oldest finisher of solo on a motorcycle of that race. And people can see that story on YouTube. There's four movies called Into the Dust 2, 3, and 4. And uh, you'll see how it's one of those physically challenging things you could do in motorsports world. So I'm, I'm proud of that. And um, I ride with my friends, you know, go on some vacations and just enjoy life. I actually don't spend a lot of money, relatively speaking. I go out for exercise. I go out on my property and clear the woods with a chainsaw. That's great exercise. I could hire somebody to cut the trees that fall on my properties. They have, you know, 60 acres in one place and 90 acres in another place. It's a never ending thing. It's Connecticut is all trees. And so I could hire somebody to do that and then go join a gym and hire a personal trainer. Or I could skip the gym and the personal trainer and do that myself and get fresh air and be in nature and clear my head, which is better. So, you know, I'm kind of a really hands-on, I'm a contractor. Do you fly private? No, 
just started flying first class about five years ago. How did you make that decision? When I started going to Baja racing, I was like, man, this is a long flight to be in coach. And uh, I tried it one time and I got, <laughs> but look, some people fly private. Now let's, let's, let's unpack this question to this ask. okay? Do you fly private jet? If I flew a private jet, what would the benefit be? Saving time, right? The only benefit, saving time. What do I do when I fly commercial? I listen to podcasts, I read, and I journal. I'm a big journaler. I got 63 journals now. Most of them are full. And when I hear an idea that has value, I have to write it down. I have to capture it. Because ideas are slippery things. We have unlimited capacity to forget. So I write it down. I write it down. And so I'm reading and journaling. When do you find time to read things? You know, I get things I got to read. I put them in a pile. Next time I go on a trip, I grab the pile, right? So I'm on the plane, sipping my coffee while everyone else is playing video games and watching stupid movies and sleeping and drinking. I'm reading. Now, if I flew private at great expense, I would get there faster only to have to do my reading at another time. doesn't make any sense. I enjoy my time on a plane. I really do. Where do you put your wealth? How do you invest? I invest, A, in my own businesses. I told you we have no debt, right? And I have a wonderful guy, a wonderful firm called Dock Street Asset Management. Dock Street Asset Management. And there's just like three guys and they do an, an amazing job just investing long-term, like a Warren Buffett style, investing in good companies that are gonna grow. There's no trading, nothing exciting, you know, it's like watching grass grow, but we get, they get amazing returns. And I've been with them for 20 something years and they're amazing guys. I almost want to nickname you Long-Term Larry. It's just, you really do these things and grind it out for so long. And there's a great message in that for a lot of other people. Yeah, I mean, make time work for you. You know, compound interest is the most powerful force on earth, right? But you gotta make it work for you. How did you learn your initial skills? As a contractor, did you have an apprenticeship? or go to trade school, or did someone teach you? Good question. I went to a technical high school, a regional vocational technical high school. You go to a shop for half the semester and class for half the semester. So I chose carpentry, and so got a basic background, although the things they taught were old school. But I wasn't afraid to cut wood and nail it together. But I learned how really do things when I graduated. I was framing a house. And I told you they were framing houses everywhere. So I had to frame the floor on top of the foundation. So I would go to the job where they were framing the floor. They were like two days ahead of me. At night, when they left, it was summertime, stayed light out late. I would go there and see how do they lay out their lines? How do they frame the stairwell opening? How did they do this? How did they do that? And I go to my house the next day and do the same thing. I'd come back the next day, they're framing the first floor walls and I would look and I would go to my house and do the same thing. How's the basement at your house? I bet you have a super kick-ass basement. I imagine you've got like the coolest basement you could ever imagine because like, you know, your basement company paid for your sick basement. It's really cool. We got a, a home theater, but I made a ticket counter and like with all the lights and a marquee above it and it says Starlight Theater. And then there's the movie poster, lit movie poster holders. I got an Into the Dust movie poster and some other ones that I got a candy counter. Anyway, the idea here is that we're a world-class home improvement company and we teach other people how to be the same thing. And they can look down out the windows and see it happening 
They can go downstairs and watch it while we're training them. Also, one of the things I love is that you've blended self-improvement, self-help material into an industry that you usually don't think of incorporating this material. I love how you're helping tradespeople and contractors to go and do their own personal growth journey. So I have a blog, Think Daily. I've been doing that for 14 years, five days a week, Think Daily and Think Daily for business people. So 10 messages a week. I have missed and missed in 14 years. So that's free for anybody to sign up at thinkdaily.com. We have about 20,000 subscribers. It'd be great if I had more, but I just keep pumping them out. And uh, I got a, a loyal community that they really appreciate the help. This is the School of Entrepreneurship curriculum. And every one of these is an exercise. So we start out with benchmarking. Where are you now? How did you get here? What thinking got you here? Okay, so that you can see your progress. Then we talk about your personal goals because your business is a vehicle for you to accomplish your personal goals. If you don't accomplish your personal goals, what the hell good is your business? This is in home improvement, home repair, home service. This is your functional model for your business, your business machine, marketing, appointment center, sales, IT recruiting, accounting, production, service. Okay. We teach that. So now you can get KPIs in each of these gears and you can have who's in charge of this gear, who's in charge of this gear, who's in charge of this gear. Then we have your cash calculator, which is your financial model. Leans times ADL or average dollar per lead sales results equals sales plus service sales equals total sales times net margin equals net dollars. So we teach them that. And then we play with that and say, how are we going to get better? Well, what if we got more leads? What if we got a better conversion ratio? What if we got higher average sale, you know, and so forth. The dream machine is what is it going to be like when it's done? This is a physical model. What is the building going to look like? If you're going to accomplish your goals, you want a $10 million company, whatever, how big of a building do you need? How many parking spaces do you need? How many offices do you need? How many phone lines do you need? How many vehicles do you need? So you can envision and you can step into it a lot faster. The spread is a simple financial control. The spread equals receivables plus cash minus payables. Okay, so it's a simple, quick ratio for accounting. Offering financing, how to change your life. This is basic stuff, right? So look, your life is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting now. The world is giving you what you deserve based on what you're doing. If you want different results, you gotta do something different. Working on your business instead of in it, that's different. Working in it is down here. Working on it is rising up and saying, all right, what do I gotta change? Like you're working on a machine on a bench to make this thing work better. Building competent managers, what is average dollar per lead? This is our sales measurement. Your break even, we teach them Break-even equals fixed cost divided by gross profit margin. And we teach them about that. And what does it do when you buy a truck and you commit to a $1,500 a month payment? What does that do to your break-even? Some people say, well, I'll just sell $1,500 a month more. No, you dummy. So we teach them that. Sending a pre-mailing before the salesman gets there. Rallying the team, how to do that. Wow, Foreman, this is one of the best things. This is how to make sure every customer is happy every time before you leave the house. So simple. And basically, you're deputizing the customer as the quality control, removing constraints. Sometimes it's like, what do I got to get rid of instead of what do I got to add? It's what do I got to get rid of. Clarifying your sales distinction. What makes you better than the other guys? Say no to be better at yes. So many people say yes, 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 yes. Will you come to this meeting? Yes. Will you be on this board? Yes. Will you help me out with this? Yes. You got to say no so you can be better at things that you say yes to. Defensive coordinator is like, who's watching the money? Shooting the arrow is a meditation exercise in the morning. You revisit your goals and you say, what do I got to do? Bridge the gap between where I am and where I need to be. What does my perfect day look like? 
long-term projects is best outcome, best reporting. It's basically where the foreman takes a picture of the progress of the job each day, sends it into the production manager so he knows exactly what's going on and they can talk about the job without the production manager going out to the job. Visioneering is vision, mission, and values. How to increase your ADL, okay? Building with blocks. There's three piles of blocks, marketing, sales, and production. Marketing, one block is enough leads to keep one salesman going. A block in sales is one salesman who can go out and get an acceptable ADL. And one block in production is basically one truck. You got to even the piles of blocks, make them go up, but even them out. It's always one damn thing or another. I don't have enough leads. I don't have enough salespeople. I don't have enough production. What do I need more of right now? Editor in chief, nobody's going to come into your office one day and say, no, I, you're not doing a good job as a leader. Get out of the way. It's on you, right? You're the editor in chief. You're the one that can make these changes. Staying above the line that refers to break even, right? How do I stay above break even? Dressing for influence, tale of three salesmen, lowmen, midmen, and highmen. What makes the difference between an underperforming salesperson and a higher performing salesperson? We talk about that. Sales basics, we're not even getting into our sales program yet. Truck lettering, yard signs, a winning schedule. What does a leader's schedule look like? What does a manager's schedule look like? What do you want? What causes that? What do you want? What behaviors on a part of your team would cause that result? And then making a campaign that lasts six to 10 weeks around those causes. You can't tell people, make this KPI go up or you're toast. But you can say, I want you to make at least 15 calls a day, or I want you to take this action, right? And measure it and have a public player scoreboard. This is kind of based on a Patrick Lencioni thing. Diversification or diversion, I told you about that. Six roles of the appointment center. Like what are the people that are capturing leads what are the six different things that they need to do each day? Hiring a graphic designer and marketing, which is simple for most businesses, but for a contractor, I'm a contractor. I need a graphic designer. Are you kidding me? Hiring a marketing manager, the most dangerous competitor. If a competitor showed up and would eat your lunch, what would they do? What are all the great things that they would do that would threaten your business and kick your butt? And at the end, we say, okay, don't wait. You do that. High performance production, this is paying for performance instead of paying by the hour. You pay by the hour, guess what you're going to get? Hours, okay? We pay for performance. This is our sales program. There's eight parts of it. This is a recruiting program called Hire. This is managing production backlog. Very important in a cyclical business, especially in a northern climate. In the winter, things freeze up and things slow way down. So we got to manage our backlog because cash flow comes from backlog. Branding, building a winning logo and tagline. This is a manager's training program, okay? And in it, we promote people to be managers, but how do they know how to be managers? We teach them. So we teach them a winning schedule. We teach them about different personality styles of people, personal management, manage yourself first, getting the right people in the right seats, inspiring your team to peak performance, training and supporting your team, winning meetings, and um, managing crisis when things go wrong. This is moments of truth, crafting the customer experience, making sure that the company is one thing to the customer. You can't have one person saying one thing, another person saying one thing. Production doesn't follow through on what the sales guy said. The people in the office aren't saying the same thing as service, you know. So this is crafting that and everybody knows what their part is and what the person upstream and downstream of me is going to do and say. And everybody signs off. This is my part. I get it. I sign off on it. The most important skill of the 21st century, you know what that is? The ability to focus your attention. 
It's not about quantity of things that you take in every day. It's about focusing on the most important things. Offense and defense. Offense is sales and marketing and appointment center. Defense is production, service, and accounting. Which do you need? More offense or more defense? Right. If you're doing a lot of business, when you're not making any money, you need defense. If you are doing good on profit side, but you don't have enough business, you need offense. How to avoid burnout. Okay. Remember I told you, I'm home by six. Don't work weekends. Okay. Visual ambition is an annual goal setting program. Your whole annual plan is on one sheet of paper. It's a poster, but it's one sheet of paper, what everybody's got to do. Your income statement, I've taught people accounting and they're like, I never got it all these years. People try to explain it to me. I teach them income statement, balance sheet, and chart of accounts and they get it. Own thy home, talking about owning your building instead of renting. Job cost sampling, because you might be losing money on some jobs and making money on others. You got to know which is which and fix the ones you're losing money on. Guarding against fraud, and there's so many ways that that could happen. Our Treehouse Internet Group, YouTube marketing, Facebook marketing, getting paid faster, direct mail, troubleshooting financials. The transition, very important. This is a transition from going from somebody who knows how to do the work to somebody who's a leader, right? Making that transition. Too many business owners know how to do the work and that becomes a liability. It becomes a problem because they're always called back to do it. And your real job is leader, is people development. And so you got to make the transition from technician to people developer. Now, if you can't make that transition, you got to hire somebody who's going to be the leader. You cubed delegation and empowerment. There's the delegation ladder. Abdication, I don't know, you do it. Allocation, here's some work to do. Delegation, here's some of my work to do. And then empowerment, hey, can we talk? I believe in you. I think you can do more. You can do great. Can you help me with this? Great, okay. Here's what the result that we want. Here's how you report it to me. Go. Employee turnover rate, we talked about that. TV advertising, home shows, internet marketing, great sales meetings, calculating labor burden. 80-20 Pareto principle, incredibly important, right? The master skill of high achievers is doing high value work. You're not gonna make $400,000 a year if you keep doing $22 an hour work. The diamond cutter, very important. Diamond cutter takes a rough stone and removes pieces to create something even more valuable. And the diamond cutter is about optimizing your business to craft a profit out of it. Compound interest, love it. Love compound interest, okay? And we talk about it not just from a money perspective, but from a functional perspective over time with your people, right? with all your KPIs and conversions. Raise your prices, how to be the high value, low risk provider. And that's what we are. We're not the low cost provider to the homeowner. We're the high value, low risk provider. How to grow really big, how to scale. And to scale, your business will rise to the height of its weakest key function. If you're bad at marketing, you're great at everything else, that'll be your restriction. If you're bad at sales, if you're great at everything else, that'll be your restriction. If you're bad at production, you're great at everything else, that'll be your restriction. You got to get really good at everything to grow really big. Responding to market feedback. How big is my market? How much market share do I have? How do I know? What do I want in market share? If I'm going to get even bigger and I'm in a tiny little town in Southwest Iowa, I'm going to have to add services. But if I only have 5% market share in Denver, I can grow by getting more market share, right? But you got to understand that, right? Where are you? Turnaround week, how to turn the ship around in one week. Everybody sells, 
fostering great teamwork, really great exercise, becoming your best self. This is the end. This is what it's really about. Becoming your best self. Through all of this, who did you become? Not how much money did you make? There's that. But who did you become in the process? This last one, love, the greatest leadership tool. And that's the School of Entrepreneurship. And it's available to everyone on the planet online. That V-S-O-E.com, T-A-G-S-O-E.com. This is great. All those lessons got me thinking about how I need to incorporate these into our company at AppSumo. I really like the one thinking like your greatest competitor. How would they compete against our company? How much is this and how long does it run for? $500 a month. Takes three and a half years. $6,000 a year. How much do you spend sending your kids to some college where they're going to be indoctrinated and where they're going to learn something that they probably aren't even going to do when they graduate? $50,000, $60,000 a year? And here, $6,000 a year for something that you're already committed to and you're wasting hundreds of thousands, I guarantee you, a year by making dumb decisions. This is a no-brainer. I also just appreciate that you're documenting your process. I was thinking in certain industries, they hire people to go figure it out. But I think with your industry and maybe all blue-collar industries, there's much more variability once they've left the office. So putting more parameters for how to run the business and also how to make sure that the systems happen consistently. Yeah. And so all my dealers are on the same page, right? We always have the same model, same KPI. When they have a problem, I say, go read that. Go read Managing Production Backlog. You're messing it up. And it's, okay, each of those exercises is anywhere from a six to 30-page written printed document, a PDF that they download and print, but also there's videos of me presenting every word of it. How did I come up with it? This is how my brain works, little compartments, right? That you can take a piece out and still understand it out of context. How did I get there? I was a Boy Scout. I had 56 merit badges. Same thing. Each one is a piece. You said you got a lot of your early education from motivational tapes. What were they saying in these motivational tapes? What did it do for you? Yeah, so I discovered Nightingale Conan audio programs when I was uh, 19, and it changed my life. And I would listen to cassette tapes driving around in my truck, and my friends would make fun of me, listen to all that motivational crap and stuff. So I kind of hid it from them for a long time, you know? I knew it was good for me, and I just kept consuming these things. That was expensive at the time, like 60 bucks. You know, 1983, 60 bucks was a lot of money for me, but I wear those things out. It made achievement very available. Talking about the block and tackling of the mentality, the attitude, the, the mindset, you know, that you go after things with. It, you know, made me believe because nobody in my family ever went to college. You know, I lived in a, a neighborhood that there was no high expectations of anybody. You know, I told you, I, I always thought that I would do something really great one day. And this was like the opening. I like that word available. Do you have any stories on how that resilience has helped you through times in the history of your company? You know, what we did when we were attacked by a private equity company, we just said no. And we went on the offense, you know. Well, when we started partnering and buying our own dealers, you know, so it wasn't in our model to begin with. So we said, you know, we're just going to, we're not going to take this. There's a lot of moments, you know. Even when we started internet marketing 15 years ago, like our dealers didn't know what to make of it. It was Yellow Pages at the time internet what's that you know how do we do that and we said you know if we're going to have the best dealers they need to be the best marketed on the internet and they don't know how to do it and we can't trust that they'll get somebody to do it well so we said we should do it we should do it for them and provide that service and we have 120 people now that 
are working on. What does your day as a nine-figure leader of such an incredible company look like? I work at home in the morning until I get hungry. Then I come in to eat lunch. <laughs> so I do all my project work, my thinking work, my study work, and my analysis work in the morning at home, no distractions. And then I'll come in in the afternoon and then I do, you know, meetings and transactional stuff with people and give my projects to the working with graphics or video or, you know, our training whoever we're working with. And uh, I don't sit at my desk a lot. I'm moving around. At home, I sit at my desk. I want this to be an enduring company that's known for excellence and that uh, these people carry on because the world needs our service and people need a place to work and they need a great place to work. And so keep it going now. I mean, I'm 58 years old, you know, but I intend on just keep going. You know, I'm not thinking about sunsetting or retiring or anything like that. What are you going to do? You got to do something every day. Might as well do cool stuff. Like over here, I'm the king. People are happy to see me and they listen to me. <laughs> they think my ideas are great. <laughs> Uh, and, but I, all my friends are here. So I would say 95% of all my friends are here. And they were either friends first or they became friends here. But hey, it's great to see your friends, right? I appreciate you being able to share all this wisdom with us and everyone else out there. My pleasure. If anything I said could help anybody, uh, you know, I'm happy to share. It's just, you know, put it out in the world and try to make the world a better place. And your, your bank account in the sky gets bigger. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Shout out to Larry Janeski for coming on and sharing amazing wisdom with all of us. Go give him some love. Sign up for his newsletter at thinkdaily.com. That's thinkdaily.com. You can also check him out at larryjaneski.com and Larry Janeski on Instagram. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go hang out in my home basement theater together. And before you go, tweet at me, slide in my DMs, whatever that is, at Noah Kagan. I love feedback. If you have any about the show, send it my way. Also, go check out tidycal.com. If you want to schedule meetings for customer meetings, podcast meetings, or if you want to get paid for people to meet with you, we have people making six figures a year using tidycal.com. It is a Calendly alternative that we built ourselves because we hate subscriptions and we wanted a simpler product. That is tidycal.com. Finally, a couple shout-outs to the amazing team who make all of this happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for always being there. And I hope everything's going great with you and you're smiling today. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Tommy, Dylan, Jay, Sylvie, and Isaac from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. Have a tremendous day. What's your favorite beer? What's your favorite beer? It, it, it depends on the mood, right? It, it could be, I think, Modelo lately. Oh, I, so dude, you know what's pretty good, too? Micheladas. You haven't had a Michelada? Whew. Oui.